not mean division in community. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought, not division in community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, John Wagler. Indeed. Wags, what's going on, man? Well, flying on a little bit of a high today. Yeah? Um... Not from our marijuana episode, but from <laughs> <laughs> uh, had a Pearl's Cupcake today. Oh, boy. Exciting. And coming off Sunday night's worship night, which was awesome. Mm, that's and birthday. Awesome. That's awesome. That's my real fear for you if you do ever decide to try marijuana is that Pearl's will not be able to accommodate. That would be true. Your, <laughs> your I would munchy ne- situation. I don't think I could. I would never do it. I, I don't. I couldn't. I. You don't really need to chill out. That's true. <laughs> You're pretty chill. If anything, <laughs> maybe some caffeine would do some good. <laughs> That's true. Oh man, cool. Well, um, we are here to continue our conversation about women in ministry, complementarianism, egalitarianism, and we are here um, with a very special guest. We're here with Nicole Eunice. Nicole, Hello. how hey, are everybody. you? Everybody, I am great. I'm very excited to be here with you guys. If you're part of our community, then you are familiar with Nicole's work because we study her book. We have her <laughs> preach here a couple of times a year. Um, but if you're not, um, Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you What are you getting into now? And, sure. and what's some stuff you'd like people to know about? Well, mostly what I do is oversee online school, as many people. <laughs> Same. I'm now the dean of students, in addition to my other requirements. Although I was I was with my middle school, so I have a 13 year old son 16 year old daughter almost 18 year old son I was with my 13 year old and his friends and I was like I don't know what it says about me that my best uh, target audience is middle school boys but this always <laughs> this always works for me just That's fine a gift. <laughs> a anyway um, yeah so I do that and when I'm not doing that I write books and do some leadership consulting and coaching and run have my own podcast so yeah yeah tell us a little. lot of I, talking into microphones I'm not familiar with your podcast tell us a little it's bit about kind it. of new it's called let's be real and really it's probably like you guys just kind of putting together what is going to help people move forward in their life and we talk about a lot about relationships like relationship with ourselves, relationship with god and then like tricky sticky situations uh in relationships with other people That's so awesome. yeah it's been fun do you Very make cool. as many people ma- as mad as we do probably not, probably not. oh don't brag <laughs> I, I just make people mad just by my being, so it doesn't. <laughs> I don't need to seek it out with my words. Yeah, that's that's uh, another part of like white male privilege is we have to try to make people angry most of the time. Yeah. Whereas you just existing as a woman with an opinion and, and uh, things that you've achieved is infuriating. Um, so we just want to kind of get from you. Last week we talked to Lacey, mm-hmm. um, and she gave us a pretty interesting, I feel like, perspective yeah. of kind of like rooting out the um patriarchy in her own thinking about mm-hmm. how she, about what her role was in yeah. ministry so it wasn't she really highlighted how like it really wasn't anything impressed upon her by right. her family or her church or John um but really as she and John were called to raise up this church she realized it about herself mm-hmm. um so we wanted to get your perspective of somebody who's not only you know preached but written a book and and you know had to uh, promote your your authorship and and your books and your podcast and all of the traveling you've done, mm-hmm. like, tell us a little bit about not only your history in this sort of complementarian and egalitarian mm-hmm. concept, um, but also what it's been like for you um, sort of as you've raised up your own ministry. Yeah. Well, this, how long do we have? I will try to keep <laughs> it You <brief>. have 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So I was raised as a military brat. So I grew up in the army. My parents became believers in like pretty dramatic conversion experiences in their 20s. 
both kind of met the Lord on the same day in different places while mm-hmm. they were married. My mom was ready to leave the marriage. My dad was like out in the field. So they had like a pretty uh, dramatic mm-hmm. jump into the church from what they had known before. And so what that led to was we moved every two or three years. And probably every two or three years, we would attend somewhere, I don't know, in the neighborhood of like four to eight churches every time we moved because mm-hmm. they had a very clear picture of what they were looking for. This was kind of in the revival, spiritual revival in the in California in the 80s mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So what that led to, it just means I was exposed to a lot of churches, every denomination, tons of different styles, different sizes. And what I realized in my own journey um, of being called to ministry was that in all of those churches, I had never seen a woman lead, mm. never saw a woman pray, I mean, certainly didn't see a woman teach. And so when you start realizing, as I began to realize that those might be some of the gifts that God had given me, maybe like Lacey, it wasn't because I had this like deep theology of what it meant to be a woman in ministry. It was more about what I was catching. Mm. And a lot of that stuff you don't realize impacts you deeply. Maybe maybe all of us are becoming more aware of it as we're exploring racial inequities yeah. and listening to our brothers and sisters of color about their experiences. What is it like when you have no one to look up to who mm. looks like you? Um, and in my own way, of course, in a totally different, very privileged Caucasian way, but mm-hmm. I, I that was my experience of the church was I just didn't have a vision or a picture of how God could use my giftings. And I remember particularly when um, God, I think, really set my heart on fire for ministry was through actually student ministry in my early 20s. And I was just had all of this energy. I'd been pursuing achievement my whole life. I'd been trying to be the kid who can do all the right things and had gone to a great school and was like, you know, planning to somehow, I don't know what, how I was going to conquer the world, but I was very sure at 19 that I was going to. And I just felt like my life was interrupted by my love for these students and my experience in Bible study and in wanting to invest deeply in their lives. And I remember in the midst of that being so frustrated that I was sitting in worship one day because I didn't see a path. I had no idea like what to do with that. And I remember kind of in this prayer moment being like, God, if you wanted me to be a pastor, why didn't you make me a man? Mm. And basically carried that frustration for almost a decade without really being sure of what to do about it. I ended up going to seminary in those years, but got to seminary. There wasn't really any women in my classes. I enrolled in like a theology program and my husband and I are eminently practical and he believes in me a thousand percent, but he was kind of like, hey, what are we going to do with this master's degree? (laughs) (laughs) To which I said, nothing. Like he's like, what are you going to do that's different than what you're doing now? And it was like, there's nothing. There's no path. There's no future. There's no career. There's I, I, I literally had no concept and no vision of what I could do. So, and I do believe this was God ordained. I kind of moved into the counseling program, not by choice. Just it just felt like this is the only practical thing to do, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm grateful for that because God was growing so many things in me that were missing in my leadership through that process. And I ended up being in private practice for a significant amount of time in my early career years. So that was sort of my first step into ministry. So mm-hmm. that's like part one was just no no plan, no future, no vision. And if I fast forward through my travels, I, I was starting ministries. I was volunteering in lots of different capacities. I was setting things up, maybe like Lacey, where I was just kind of like, well, there's no one else to talk. So I guess I'm going to talk. And mm-hmm. I, I would be like, well, now I have these women. I had started a women's ministry. And I'm like, well, 
um, I'm just going to have to run it like a youth group. So I guess that's what we're going to do. And I'd be like, no homework here, people. Like, this is just show up, bring your friends. And show up, bring your friends was growing this ministry. And out of that, kind of skipping some pieces, but out of that, I felt like I really wanted to contribute to honest writing around faith and spirituality. And I felt like particularly in the women's arena, I would go to a bookstore. Remember in the olden days when there was bookstores? I know. Rest in peace, bookstores. Thank God for Barnes & Noble. I know. So I'm standing in this bookstore and I would be in like the women's section. Again, remember, I have no context for doing anything else but women's ministry. So I'm and I would look at the books and be like, there is not one book that I can look at that appeals to me Hmm. as a person. Hmm. Like I don't run through fields of flowers. I don't wear (laughs) straw hats. I don't write in cursive. Like I just was like, there's nothing. And so I thought, you know, if I can't, if I don't know how to use this energy that I have for teaching, I'm going to use it and try to figure out how to Mm -hmm. write. So that began like that journey. And it was only because I began writing and realized with a very like sober minded realization that your publisher does not check your theology. (laughs) And I was wading into out of my own counseling work in my first book called She's Got Issues, I was kind of wading into like suffering, God's sovereignty, the nature of evil. And I thought, no one is checking my work. <laughs> like, and and then the book did okay. And so now I'm like, well, now I'm leading all these people and mm-hmm. no one is checking my work. So out of that, I actually ended up pursuing the ordination process to become an ordained teaching elder in a denomination, which basically is a, a positioning where you're saying, I'm coming under authority to be called by God and mm-hmm. confirmed by these people mm-hmm. and tested mm-hmm. uh, for my theology so that I can hold this position. And I really did that because I felt like I needed to come under authority. And in the process, I was the first woman or like fully ordained in that denomination in this region. And so that brought with it a lot of different challenges and some really neat opportunities to experience what do people really think when you use the word pastor and woman together? And um, how do you navigate that with grace and courage and you know, I, that's been my story. <laughs> mm, when you, um, when, when you were in seminary, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, can you talk to people about how difficult it is? Like primarily every commentator is a white male. Yeah. And that's not yep. a white person's fault. It's just like primarily every, every that's per- what it is. I had one professor who was not a white male and yeah. it was a Latino male who was teaching cross-cultural counseling which also was my favorite class because right. it was amazing but it, yeah I mean it's just that's what it is yeah like I, I just got done reading um Paul and Gender by Cynthia along Westfall mm-hmm. I don't know if you read Mm-mm. that or not but it was just like refreshing to hear a woman's perspective mm-hmm. and so how hard is that like as you're working through theology and you're kind of get getting into ministry and when you're taking that step into teaching Mm -hmm. and everything, what was that like for you? Just to some degree blazing a trail, but yeah, I mean, I think like I, I credit like Beth Moore, (laughs) you know, people have different feelings about Beth Moore, but at the end of the day, I'm like, she's a phenomenal Bible teacher. And I learned how to be a woman who teaches by listening to her teach mm-hmm. just to just to listen to a woman be fully herself but also command the authority of scripture in her way of teaching and you know i learned a lot from men who mentored me and uh, you know as we know like when you're in a position to be the first or the only you really have no choice but to have mm-hmm 
men open the door or if you're a person of color to have mm-hmm. a, a white you know a majority person open that door at first you know and so i do credit a lot of those men who did open those doors but at the end of the day like i had to learn my style and my voice in a different way and i really struggled because uh, a lot of women, I, I knew some women in ministry and who had like sort of careers in ministry who were further along than me. And I'm, they're probably not listening. So I'm just going to go ahead and say like a lot of them were super bitter and had had some hard knocks that I think had put some sharpness around their way hmm. that I think is really detrimental to the kingdom. And I sympathized with it, but also thought, I don't want to be that way. And one of those ways was distancing themselves from any traditional women's ministry and Mm -hmm. being almost defining themselves as not a person who does women's ministry. And it always really struck me because I'm like, you're, you're like denigrating our entire gender and you're in the gender. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, that's a real temptation to create that us versus them. Mm -hmm. and, And I thought, I don't, want to be that way I I don't believe in that and I think that the form of women's ministry maybe the structure of it has been a certain way but there was a function and there's a reason that that function has existed and I think it's because women deserve to hear the gospel in their first language and the first language of women is women Mm -hmm. first language of men is men Mm -hmm. women are very very adept at speaking man (laughs) like they are used to it but at the same time until the pulpit is equally shared and men hear and are as adept as hearing from a woman's perspective as women are at hearing from men, I think there will always continue to exist an outside agency of women's ministry or women teaching women because they're not hearing it in their own context. Sure. I think that's really the only reason it's really needed. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> earlier in your story, you know, just talking about going to the different churches mm-hmm. and it's similar to Lacey's story in that, you know, sometimes we talk about, um, there's sins of commission and sins of omission, mm-hmm. right? So like I did a bad thing versus I didn't do the sure. right thing. Um, and it kind of is almost like I'm seeing that dichotomy in, in a form of oppression, right? Um, we see it with race, but we, mm-hmm. we're, you're talking about it with gender where it's not necessarily that anybody told you to sit down and shut up, but yeah. nobody asked you to stand up and pray that's right. or lead. Right. Um, and I think that that's interesting because it's like if you walk into like a PCA church and it's like, look, Here's the thing, you know, you know, for a woman like you're walking it, not everybody, because not everybody is. Some people are just like, I don't know, my friends go to this church. I'm going to go to this church. Right. But once it's you don't have to get into the bylaws real deep to right, figure right. out that like <laughs> women are, are not, you know, ordained. Um, so at least it's an upfront thing where right. it's like, this is what you're agreeing to by going to this church. All you have to do is look at their elder page or their right. deacon page or sure. their leadership page and you'll see. Yeah, right. Talk to me a little bit about. Th- so that is its own thing. Talk to me a little bit about like in the evangelical world Mm -hmm. where things are a little less, I mean, there's not necessarily like a Presbyterian or a general assembly or, you know, the church government of Vatican. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the evangelical world and this sort of sin of omission Mm -hmm. and just not saying, oh, you can't, but never asking you to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we have to address with this issue the fact that people who love God and love the Bible stand on different sides of this issue. And people that I listen to, that I listen to their preaching, stand on different sides of this issue. Um, and I, I, it is amazingly hard to honor that when it's personal. And I, I just think it's important to say that because the, like logically in my head, I think to myself, like, this isn't a salvation issue. This is like, you can, you can come to different conclusions on the exact role of women in the church. Like mm-hmm. there is 
reason that Mm -hmm. it's not just out of thin air it's not just so you can um but it's amazing how hard it is to allow that to be so i i'm really endeavoring in my ministry to allow that to be the case because Mm -hmm. otherwise it's like you said like you want to talk about topics but we don't want them to be divisive Mm -hmm. and how we figure that out personally so i've said to friends of mine if you find a pca church which is a complementarian denomination for those who don't know and like the gospel's being preached and you feel like you can find life and community there like good for you yeah. but you know what if you're if your baby girl wants to start talking and you feel like it's not a place that she can you should probably find it like mm. just be aware of yeah. what you're getting into um and that's been a, a challenge for me i'm actually in a denomination that holds that open and allows individual congregations to decide now what i'm seeing is that how that plays out practically mm. is very difficult um, for me to show up and feel like I have an equal voice and an equal vote, knowing mm. there are people in the room who actually think that I am erroneous, like I have right. been led sure. wrong yeah. theologically. Like they're not just like it's mm. not just a style. Yeah. It's an actual, you know, as opposed to like if you look, I think it's a very small number. I think six percent of Fortune 500 companies have a woman in the C-suite. Mm-hmm. So we have to realize this is a universal issue. Yeah. This is not just a church yeah. issue. But when you talk about the church, now you're talking about people who may have a preference or a style or a way or a prejudice toward men, but they also have a theological reason. (laughs) So it's a little bit trickier to figure out how to do that with grace. Would you rather, um, I know this is sort of an unfair dichotomy, but as a woman, um, let's say you're invited to speak somewhere because of your book or something else. Sure. For you, would you rather walk into a church knowing the theology up front Mm -hmm. So like, again, a PCA type church Um, and just like you said, square with it and be like, well, they want to hear. They don't think I should be a pastor, but like they like my book and they want to hear me talk. Right. Or would you rather walk into um, a non-denominational space where it's not decided, but maybe as you start to talk to the women like in the green room or whatever, you're like, hmm. Yeah, this is not, it kind of is decided. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've actually been in both scenarios, including having churches cancel me coming because they oh. find out I'm a pastor. So one of the things mm. that we had to go through, which was just painful, um, was a conversation about like, do I put pastor on my books? Ooh, like, is yeah. it in the bio or not? And I just applied biblical principles and I'm like, you know what? I want to advance the gospel and like Paul's like, I'll become all things to all people in order that I might win some. And a lot of times what's happening with a conversation like that is about leadership. It's not about the people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I just love the people Mm -hmm. and my people are interested in faith, but not quite there. They're, they're nominal or they're sort of want to find Jesus, but they haven't connected to the Bible. Like my people don't care about this issue. (laughs) Like it's just not the main thing that they're worried about. (laughs) And they're like, Beth who? Like they don't know. They're like Egala what? Like they just, that's not what they're in. They're so not in that space. And so for me, and I've been in in places where I've had senior pastors who are like, Hey, I'm just going to listen in. And you know what? I'm kind of like, that's your fear talking. And it's a big deal to give somebody your platform Mm -hmm. and your microphone. And you have this great fear that I'm going to lead your women astray. And I know in my heart, my conscience is clear that I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not what I'm here to do. I'm Mm -hmm. here to preach the gospel. So come on in the room. I'm happy that you're here. And usually it works. And that's been my guiding principle is what do I do to get to my people? And if getting to my people means it doesn't say pastor on the back of my book, I don't think that God cares about that. Mm. I just don't because it's not, I'm not trying to reach those people. That to me is like the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, get behind me, evildoers. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to help your flock, like yeah. find God. So 
it's worked. And really, anyone who's overly, or, or excuse me, that was very judgmental. Anyone who's on the legalistic side of things, mm-hmm. they already researched me and they don't invite me to come. Yeah. So it's okay. And I think what you said earlier, too, holds true for that part of the conversation because sometimes we make a big deal about something that someone may never even get to. That's so right. like you you saying, like, you might find life in a complementarian church. Right that you can fully flourish in and the men there are great they're not they see they see theologically right they come to a different perspective but they treat women incredibly well and you can flourish there and you might come as a part of a disagreement where you you might butt up against something but for most for most they won't ever actually get to that yeah butting up and you can actually be in a great church that way right but then there are times that you do come up to that point where you're like, you know, I think I got to go somewhere else. Well, and it's, you know, I also, I mean, I feel pretty strongly that men and women together working in flourishing healthy relationships side by side make the very best decisions. So if you do get into like a very complimentary, complimentary church, that means that that pastor is surrounded by men mm-hmm. who are surrounded by men who make decisions with men. And, mm-hmm. and that's... Now, whether or not there's a old school wives behind the scenes mm-hmm. kind of thing going on, I think that's fine. But, you know, I think of a couple I know who maybe is struggling in their marriage and it, with a new child and they move to a new city and you find a PCA church that's incredible about with discipleship and everyone's getting discipled and growing because they're really good at that. And I'm like, yes, get all sure. over that. Long term, be aware who's around, who's part of making decisions. Mm-hmm. And you may not hold that value that I do, but I've come personally have come to believe Men and women working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, bring about the best God-honoring decisions overall. It's, a, it's as if that's in the Bible. <laughs> as if as if I was <laughs> quoting the well, Bible. As, so, if you're, <laughs> it's as if you're quoting Genesis 1. That's a great segue into, uh, that's a great segue into what I think will be our last question, um, so we can get you out of here in time. Um, so speaking of the Bible, yeah, you wrote a book about the book. Um, I did. Uh, I did. Called "Help My Bible Is Alive." That's right. It's great. Um, I always, whenever I said it, Lacey and I was like, "Help! Help! My Bible's <laughs> help, alive! Help! help. <laughs> I'm drowning in my Bible." <laughs> now we promise not to use that accent anymore. That's it's true. reductive to people from certain types. Oh, <laughs> oh um, darn it! I know. You're fine. It's hard. We still <laughs> That's do just it. We still do, we still do it. it. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> no, the one we said we wouldn't do anymore is the. Oh like, yeah, that's that we're, 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 yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> Why is that one offensive? Keep I don't, me, keep I don't know. Because I think when aware. we've used it, we've. It's like it's basically saying somebody who has a different opinion than you is a, is not intelligent. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, so he we, was like, <laughs> 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 Why are you trying to? We don't ever go that bad. What we would do be like, oh, well, that was just like. You shouldn't do that. So what what is your sort of like response to, well this is all fine and good and sweet and um but you know you're really just mapping on like post women's lib cultural stuff to the current church for 2000 years we've done uh-huh. i did it <laughs> <laughs> you did it sorry <laughs> read that as an ellipsis not as a <laughs> For 2000, for 2,000 years, we've done it this way, mm-hmm. and now some stuff happened in the 50s or whatever. Right. And what? And of course, we should acknowledge that. Like, I'm sure people don't come at you quite that rudely. No. Like, I'm I'm trying to summarize quickly. Uh, like, yeah. I'm sure people are a lot nicer about it. But, um, what what is your response to that? Like, what is your sort of formulated thought pattern around this idea that maybe maybe you're just mapping yeah. on your current cultural context right. onto the text? Yeah. Well. 
they're wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let your yes well, be yes I mean, and your no I'm be no. I'm just like, it, it's objectively wrong. <laughs> I mean, throughout all of history, there have been powerful warriors for the church that are women. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're written about, and including in the early church, you know, you just don't have to go any further than Romans 15 to read about like Priscilla. You can read about Deborah in the Old Testament. I mean, there's a lot of exceptions to the very, very rigid female rule that are in the Bible. So you, you got to start there. And then after there, I think that they're not maybe written about the same way. But the one person that I think of that like some in like Presbyterianism, like mm-hmm. everyone maps back to Henrietta Mears. She was like a Sunday school teacher mm-hmm. and like all these people, I don't know if it was Dallas or definitely Dale Bruner is one of my favorite commentators. They're all like, it was Henrietta Mears. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so all through God has never stopped using women mm-hmm. in their every gift, the fullness of their gifts. I don't think that God imposed a leadership gift on women in the last like 30 years. Mm-hmm. I think it's been there and it's come in all manner of form and function, whether or not it's been in the narrow, like evangelical world that you or I or others have known, it's been around. Mm-hmm. So I would respectfully say this is, there's no cultural mapping in this scenario. And maybe it's come into your awareness, but it's, it's, there has been women behind spiritual revivals, churches, movements, like the whole the whole of history. Mm-hmm. The question is, are we willing to make space for the way that God uses diverse people from diverse backgrounds to accomplish his purposes mm-hmm. who might not look like us? Mm-hmm. Um, and can we do it with unity and respect and love for one another? And I often tell young women in ministry, um, you don't need to carry like the weight of this entire movement on your shoulders, just go bear fruit because mm-hmm. nobody can argue with you bearing fruit. Like Galatians five against such things, there is no law. Like God will show you favor mm-hmm. and he will multiply your work, the work of your hands. If you're not so concerned with like getting yours or like mm-hmm. all of that, there's time, there, of course there's places and times to fight for what's right, but there's also a lot of life that's just about growing that character and showing up for the way that God opens those doors. Yeah. And I would, you know, just from a theological standpoint for people that are listening too, I I'm been recently obsessed with this, but like consistently in scripture, Jesus does this. We see it all over the old Testament. Paul does this. They're always going back to the creative story. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're always going back to it. And, and so we always said, even when we're having this discussion about men and women, it's like, we don't start at Genesis three. We go to Genesis right. one, you mm-hmm. know? And so we have to keep going back in that. And even when you look at Paul's writings, who really a lot of this comes from is from right. Paul's writings. A but, lot of the division. Yeah, like yeah. A lot of the uncertainty right. comes from totally. Paul. Totally. Yeah. But like, truthfully, when you start reading what he's saying, it's like he says there's no separation in gifts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, you know, men get this, women get That's this. Right. He says when he says put on the armor of God, he it's men and women put on the armor of yeah. God. You know, even when he describes in Ephesians 5, which is like the big one that people will often go to. When he's describing what it looks like for men and women in marriage, and that's the, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then uh, well, people you know. love to leave that verse out. Correct. Like, it's like the actual. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the- it's, and it's not, it, to me, it's beyond, it is men and women. It's beyond marriage. You yeah. know, it's like that is a posture of life. Yeah. Um, and I think if that was happening, you might see a lot of things. A little change. differently. Yeah. yeah. And plus, even in that passage, Paul pre- prescribes the language of a woman to men. Mm like all the like the way he describes how a man should act was all of the quote unquote feminine characteristics yeah. right like so even in all of that he's, there's this consistent like he's going back to this equality element that's supposed to be there and i'm i'm just personally a big fan of when we get into some of these conversations theologically 
it's like we have to because Jesus did this and Paul did it. This is kind of why I do this. But we go back to how it was supposed to be. Yeah. And then what separated it. Mm. And so when we don't we don't go to what separated. We keep going back to how do we get to where it was supposed to be. Have mm. you read The Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight? No. Yeah. So that would be my like anyone who's interested in this conversation doesn't know where they want to be or how to be. Or even the bigger question, how do you explore divisive topics of in the Bible, mm-hmm. like through the Bible? Scott McKnight, the blue parakeet, he actually uses women in ministry as his case study mm-hmm. to apply like how to read the Bible, to mm-hmm. understand it, mm-hmm. uh, to understand what's cultural and how the principles move forward. I love his writing and it really does help you explore through like a neutral lens. How do I understand X, Y, and Z, whatever that issue may be? That's good. Cool. Well, we could go on forever. Forever. But um, we want to respect. Forever. <laughs> we want to respect our guest time and the drive time of whoever's listening. Um, since none of us are going anywhere any, uh, anymore. We know you're just in your house. Right? Yeah, That's we right. know you want to jog another lap because you don't want to go home to yeah uh, more screens. But thank you so much, Nicole, for being on. Thank you on. guys for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Um, remember to rate and review us and share this episode so more people can get in on the conversation. If you you have questions, quips, quotes, or concerns, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com and you can follow us on Instagram at staycuriouspod. Um, thanks again for listening and until next time, remember, stay, stay curious. curious.